going to now turn together to Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 25. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me there. We're going to be reading through verse 35, Acts chapter 16, 25 through 35, as we together uh, hear the word of the Lord this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can follow along with the words on the screen as well. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted out, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. Then the jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus And you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before him. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jail with the orders, release those men. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing, so we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Would you bow with me for prayer? Gracious God, uh, we're astounded by the gift of your word for all that you have for us in it. Lord, meet with us now as we study and reflect on it. Help us to know and understand it more and more. Meet with us now by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. Open our eyes that we would see. Open our ears that we would hear. Open our minds that we come to know and understand your word. And indeed, your ultimate will. Open our hearts that we would feel its power. Then by your grace, I ask, O oh God, that you would open our hands, that we would offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the Burnham household, we have had two Christmases, two down and four to go. We have four more to go. Uh, And so uh, I'm reminded in the season, as you might be if you're a parent of a young one particularly, uh, we have a seven-year-old Sam, uh, of, of a parent's greatest fear in this season, and that is a lack of gratitude. Have, have you ever witnessed it whenever, whenever a young child opens a present that, uh, that they have not much or no interest in, and they open it, and they unwrap it, and they say, and they look up, like, really? That? And, and you think to yourself, oh, God, please at least say thank you. Like, even if it's like a disgruntled, I don't really care about it, thank you, at least say thank you. That would be awesome if you could. I mean, what you really want is a parent for them to say, thank you, I wanted this, and then dance around like they just got the best thing ever. Sam did that one once yesterday, the other time, not so much. And um, 
And so, so we, 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 we struggle as parents to try to be sure that our kids uh, have this level of gratitude about what they receive. But, but the challenge for us is that that, that, that gratitude actually uh, comes from a place of satisfaction or contentment that is hard to, to process or conceive of, especially as a child. How do you get to a place where you're so content with what you have, so satisfied with what you have, that, that, that when, when something else is offered, it, it could just be a bonus, a blessing, and over the top, and that the joy that you have already uh, is, what, uh, is, is the, the, the location from which you can offer appreciation and gratitude for the blessings you receive. I act like this is just a young child issue. This is a me issue. This is an us issue, right? How do we find ourselves in a place where we're so satisfied, so, so content with what we have, that, that whenever something else is offered, it, 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 it is just over-the-top extra blessing, and we can be deeply content in all things. We're challenged by this more and more because we live in a culture that, that, has, that has figured out how to press and lean into our lack of contentment. It actually scrapes away at, at the scars that we attempt to build up to protect us from that lack of contentment. And, and it opens up wounds so that we walk through life seeking others' stuff or other stuff. We desire more and more and more, and there are algorithms that are designed to offer this pressure upon us. I love camping. And uh, I went to Big Bend over Thanksgiving, and, and leading up to Big Bend, I had done some searches for some different like toys to go camping with, some things that might keep me warm or some things that might just make my experience that much better, right? And I bought a couple of them, but I didn't buy all of them. And do you know what my search engine advertisement page looks like right now? It is all camping gear. It's, it's the accessories to the things I bought because it's trying to tell me you bought this, but you're really lacking satisfaction in your purchase. If you would buy this glorious new accessory, it will make your life better. And it's also showing me, you searched this and you thought about it, but you didn't think you could afford it, so you didn't purchase it, but you really should use that credit card that you swore you're never going to use, because if you use it, then you will buy it, and then you'll be happy. That's just my search engine? Yours doesn't look like that? These, the, the way in which they could get into your life and see what you want and poke at that and say, want it more, want it more. Want it more. And if you get it, then you'll be satisfied. What a challenge it is for us to, to connect with and meet with the Word of God today as we receive this, this depiction, this story that has a profound impact for us about what life looks like when we actually arrive at a state of satisfaction. What, what is this story, this Paul and Silas encounter, and how does, it, how does it teach us? How does it guide us? Well, we can't actually start uh, where we began. We have to get them into prison so, so we could see the, the, the vast gap between how we would be acting or I would be acting. I'll put it all on me, how I would be acting and how they acted. 
So here's the deal. They're on a missionary journey. They're going around planting churches, telling people about Jesus, showing them what grace looks like, and, and, and showing them that the love of God and Jesus Christ is this ridiculous and this profound and that they can receive it. So they're offering this glorious good news, and they come to a city called Philippi, which also connects us to the letter of Philippians. We'll say more about that in a little while. And they come to the city of Philippi, and they start planting a church. They tell people of the love of God and Jesus Christ. They, they, they go into the city square and have those encounters. They actually also go outside of the city where, where there are a bunch of women that are, that are washing and, gather, and, and gathering water. And in that space, they encounter a woman who's from Thyatira, who, uh, whose name is Lydia. And there, that space, Lydia's heart is, is convicted by the movement of the Holy Spirit, and she receives the, the word of God, and receives the grace of Jesus Christ. And she says, come back to my home. And we might think that that means that she, she says, come back to Thyatira. That's not it. Thyatira is 240 to 260 miles away. They're still in Philippi where she's staying. And so she says, come back to my home where I'm staying in Philippi. She's a wealthy woman. She exchanges uh, purple cloth, and uh, she's a dealer of purple cloth. And so uh, she says, come back to my home, and they do. And she converts, and her household converts, and she becomes the, the host for the home church in the community of Philippi. And so they're receiving, like, they're, they're experiencing this, this movement of the gospel again. Here's a church, it's being planted, and they have this joy and this excitement, like, like the early days of a church plant. Here we are, it's happening, baby. The Spirit is moving, praise God. And so they're in that mode, and then here's what happened. They're going through town. To proclaim the good news and to build relationships, to develop relationships with people. And there's a woman who has a spirit in her. And the spirit that's in her allows her to be a fortune teller. It allows her to tell of the future for people. And there are, there are those that actually use her uh, to, to make money. Right, They leverage her spirit and they say, all right, uh, you want to know what's going to happen to you? Come on over and uh, for a price you could hear it. And they kind of, uh, in the nine o'clock I use the word pimp. Uh, and so I guess I should use it again so that uh, they, 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 they oversee and, and use her gift. But then she does this weird thing, right? She follows Paul and Silas. Everywhere they go, and she has a very, very clear word that she starts saying over them. These men are servants, if, you're, if you want to see where it is, it's, uh, it's in chapter 16, verse 17. These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And it actually says that she repeats this over and over again wherever she goes, they she follows them. Paul and Silas go this way, she comes. These guys are servants of the Most High God. They tell you how to be saved over and over again. And I would want to mock that over and over again, except you would stand up, get out, get, you would get up and walk out the doors and go home saying, Jason's annoying. That's what she did. Think about the song that never ends, right? Over and over again, piercing your brain and making you wish that it would end. So it actually says that Paul and Silas dealt with this for days. She kept this up for many days. Days. 
And then finally, it says, as, as though it had been building in Paul. And I see Paul as like this really competitive guy, somewhat aggressive, like go get it. And, and, and he's been dealing with this, and, and it's been an internal struggle. And it says that finally he broke. He broke, and he turned around to this woman and said to the spirit, quote, In the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. So that was good for his eardrums and for his soul, but that caused a problem. That caused a problem with the people that used her and her spirit to make their money. And so they then drag Paul and Silas after they realize that their bankroll is gone. They drag Paul and Silas out before the authorities. They say, these men are causing trouble. And then the, the overseers, the magistrates, have them beaten, flogged, stripped, and thrown into jail. So that's where we find Paul and Silas in our scripture today. Where would you be, where would I be, if we had just been annoyed for many days by this perpetual howling of a woman who is, who is overtaken by a spirit, who is ruining our opportunity to testify, and then when we cast the spirit out, we got beaten and flogged and stripped and thrown into jail. Where would you be? Me, I'd be grumpy. I'd be a little bit angry. I'd be a challenge to be around. I'd probably be sulking. If I was in jail, you'd probably see me in the corner. I'd be in fetal position, and I'd be like this. As only my children and wife have seen. Uh, grumpy Jason. What would you have been like? And so then we arrive at our text today, and we hear, beginning in verse 25, that it's midnight, that day that they've been thrown into jail. And do you know what Paul and Silas are doing? They're worshiping God and praying out loud where the other people around them can hear. They're not bitter or angry or grumpy or sulking. It's not about them. They are absolutely, deeply satisfied, content in every way, and in that space, in prison, they worship God, and they offer prayers out loud for others to hear. I wish, I wish we would have from Luke more about what those prayers were. We could only guess, but we could use the context of both what we know about Paul and Silas and what fulfillment God offers. We could see and put together a construct of what this prayer looks like. And may it be our prayer as well when we enter into these kind of circumstances. I think, first of all, you know that they're praying prayers of thanksgiving. In jail, beaten and whipped. Prayers of thanksgiving. Why? Because it says that they sing Hymns of worship. And so they're, they're worshiping God for who God is and thanking God for who God is and that it's not about them. We could probably assume that they're also offering prayers for the community because they're church planters. 
they came into this community to offer the grace and love of Jesus. And so whenever they came into the community, and they, they began seeing the Spirit move in that way. Their prayer persistently is going to be for the community. We know that from the way that Paul writes to the churches he planted, from what we know about how Paul planted the churches, and from our experience, brothers and sisters, as church planters ourselves, being here at Covenant, planting a new church in this community. We pray for the community. And that night at midnight, I guarantee Paul and Silas were praying for the community out loud where the people around them could hear. Who else would they have been praying for? I think they might have been praying for the inmates that were with them. Because that day, as they arrived in jail, they're evangelists. And they're not thinking about themselves, they're thinking about others. And so they would have been meeting others, they would have been hearing their stories, they would have been offering grace and truth, truth to them, they would have been offering Jesus to them, they would, have been, they would have been offering space for repentance to them. And in that movement, in that time as they were praying, they were praying out loud for people that were hearing it. And as they prayed for them, I'm thinking that those People, those inmates were having the, the, those prayers come up to God on their behalf as well. What a beautiful gift that is, this scene that's being created. There are two other things that I think were a part of their prayers, and it's because we see how God responds. And if God responds, then I believe that these are parts of what God was, uh, what they were seeking God, supplicating uh, God for. The first would be for those that sent them to and held them in jail. They were praying for people who abused their power and hurt them, put them and held them in jail, that they would know the grace of Jesus Christ. The prayer didn't go like, Lord, these fools beat me up. Please beat them up as well. Lord, these folks were unjust. I need you to be unjust as well. That wasn't their prayer. They were praying that they would come to know the love of Jesus just as they knew the love of Jesus. And then the last prayer I think that we can with confidence believe is that they were praying that they would experience release from their imprisonment so that they might continue the work of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so how did it go? How did their pray- These are their prayers, this is their worship, and this is the context that led to it. How did it go? From that space, in that jail cell, as they're worshiping, see- singing praise to God, and praying out loud for others to hear, the earth literally shook. It says the earth quaked, and we think about San Francisco. I need you to remove yourself from that just a little bit and think about an isolated movement of God that has the power to move mountains and also has the power to actually make the earth tremble in a place. The earth shook and trembled there. And not, we, I, want, I want you to get this image with me. So the earth quaked, and we think that this caused, like, that the earth quaked, and then, like, the doors came off their hinges, or the, or, or the, the gate, like, fell down, or, or maybe like a movie where, where the rocks begin to, to crumble, and, and then, the, and then the, the, the hinge anchors are no longer there, and it's able to be pried open. That's not what we catch here, because it actually says that when the earth quaked, God's presence was so fully known in that space that the doors literally flew open. Different, right? 
the locked doors unlocked and flew open. And their shackles, their stocks, that were around their ankles and maybe also around their wrists, but at least around their ankles. They, 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 they unclipped and opened. No key, no manipulation. They were loosed. Okay? That doesn't mean that, that the, 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 the pin that was in the ground came out and then they were able to walk with chains still on. No, the, 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 the actual chains loosed, released, and in their release they were free to do whatever they wished. So what do we do? We've seen the movie. We've seen the movie. Whenever, whenever doors of the prison fly open, chaos ensues right? It's like a melee. Everybody rushes the galley, and then they start beating up the guards, and then they, they find their way, and then, and then uh, the rock or uh, whoever it is, like, escapes uh, by, like, jumping off of a 50-foot cliff, uh, whatever that looks like. No. In the biblical story, this isn't what Paul and Silas do. Prison doors flew open. Chains were loosed. Not just to them, but of all the inmates, all of them, everyone there. But all those inmates had spent the last hours of the night worshiping God and praying alongside of Paul and Silas. And so when the jailer sees that the doors are open and that, they're, and that he's probably going to die because they've all escaped, he draws his sword and comes to the point where he's going to kill himself. And Paul shouts out and says, Cause no harm to yourself because everyone is still here. We're all here. We're all here. That's why I believe that they were praying for that jailer. Because if they were praying for that jailer, then they would want no harm upon that jailer. And so when those doors flew open and when those chains came off, they couldn't, they couldn't flee and allow that jailer to die because they fled. So, so God satisfied that very need in that way. And then, and then the next day, after the conversion, which we'll talk about in a second, the next day, the Lord uh, says to the magistrate, magistrate, you need to release them. The magistrate comes and says, release these men. And they go free back to the community so they could offer grace and truth to the brothers and sisters that are in the house that Lydia has started the church in. So you have like, like all of this woven together, God satisfying, God responding to their prayers. So how are we then to proceed? Maybe we're to proceed as the jailer did. You see, the jailer hears this word, he doesn't, he doesn't kill himself, and he's blown away. He's, he most certainly had heard earlier the songs of praise and worship, the prayers that were resounding from Paul and Silas, and he heard of what these men were doing in the community and what this woman, through the spirit that had been cast out, was saying about these men, that these men knew how to be saved, that they worshiped the Lord God Almighty. And so in that space, he comes to them and he says, I want what you have. I see something in you. I understand something in you that's unique and different 
and I've never seen it before. I've never borne witness to it. And, and I, I've been a jailer, and I've seen all these folks come in, and when they come in, they're grumpy, and they're angry, and they're bitter, and they're discontented, or they're licking their wounds, and you didn't do that. There's something in you that I've never seen before. There's a satisfaction and a contentment in you that I've never seen before. I want the thing that you have. I want to be saved like you've been saved. What is the path to your salvation? The salvation that you have, I want. And their response is quite simple. Their response is something that that you and I could could tap into and understand and, and claim for ourselves. They say, in response to the jailer, what must I do to be saved? They say, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. If you would but believe in the Lord Jesus, you would be saved. We might wonder where we find ourselves in the midst of this story. Do we have to place ourselves in Paul and Silas's position, a position that seems oftentimes foreign to us, a place of deep contentment and deep satisfaction that resides in the knowledge and gift of our Lord Jesus Christ? Or do we have to put ourselves in the position of the inmates who have been prayed for and respond to those prayers? Or do we need to put ourselves in the position of the jailer who comes and says, what do I need to do to have what you have? I want to offer a, a, a fourth option that I think might have some potency for us as the church, as the people of God. You see, I now believe that Lydia, who has a, a, a church in her house in Philippi, now has new congregants in her church. The jailer who professed his faith and his family who professed their faith and all of those who were baptized are now a part of that church. I believe any of those inmates who fulfilled their sentence, uh, who then were released at some point in time, they then became a part of that church along with their families as well. I believe that the testimony about what took place that night, about the contentment and satisfaction that Paul and Silas had, that they prayed and worshiped the Lord God Almighty, that, that, that the Lord responded to their prayers, I believe that the church in Philippi grew like wildfire because of what took place that night. So we need to turn to Philippians to see where we are in this because we are the church, the people of God. And Paul writes a letter to the Philippians. He writes a letter to the Philippians and he says in chapter 4 verses 11 through 13, uh, he talks about something that would resonate with the people. This is his closing uh, statement. Uh, This is what he offers to the people as he concludes his letter, and he wants to remind them of that thing that initiated such deep and profound faith in the people of God in Philippi. Here's what he says. I'm not saying this because I, I am in need. I have learned, Paul says, to the people of Philippi, to Lydia, to the jailer, to their household, and all that converted through his ministry planning that church, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Him, that is Jesus, who gives me strength. You've you've probably heard that last verse many times. I could do everything, all things, through him who gives me strength. 
The context of that is I could do all things through Christ. I can be content and satisfied all the way to the depths of my soul through Christ who gives me that strength. So this season, as you kind of find yourself tempted to lean into discontentment or a lack of satisfaction, or find yourself wanting more and more rather than finding yourself rooted and calm in this space where you could claim Christ as the source of every gift that you need, lean in here. There's a word for you, a word for me, a word for the church of Jesus Christ that when we want that satisfaction, all we have to do is believe in Jesus And when we believe in Jesus, he will reside in our heart and fulfill our every need. Rest in that. Find peace in that. And when you do, others will see that witness in you and say, what do they have? I want it. And then you could say, it's all from Jesus. To the glory of God, believe in him. And it's yours as well. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, thank you for uh, for the contentment that we have. And whenever we find ourselves lacking contentment, God, we pray that you would overwhelm us and remind us, convict us that, that in our lack, you have more than enough to satisfy for our needs. Lord, we thank you and praise you for the work that you're doing in our midst, the work you're doing in our lives, in our souls. We pray, God, that you would grant us rest. Lord, move in us so that we might offer our whole selves to you this season. And as you come as as a child, as a baby born in a manger, Lord, remind us that 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 is the reason that we worship. That is the reason we pray, is to glorify you.